From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 406. Today's show is brought to you by Fitbod, Bombus, and Capital One. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very well, my friend. Very well indeed. Mm. I have a hashtag Snell Talk question for you. It comes from Nathan. Nathan wants to know, do you remember the first photo you took with an iPhone? I Well, I mean, the honest answer is no, but mm-hmm. I looked it up. Yeah. That's what I hoped you would do. Yeah. And so the answer is, and I have told a version of this story before, I wrote my review of the original iPhone in a tent up in the mountains, and I had to actually drive downhill in order to get a cellular connection so that I could send my review back because we had no cell connection at the place where I was writing the review of the iPhone, which was hilarious. So to get there, you've got to drive from the Bay Area up through the through the, the Central Valley and then up through the foothills and you get up into the mountains mm-hmm. and to the camp where we went. So I, uh, Lauren drove that whole way and I sat in the passenger seat and did as many things as I could do with the iPhone that required the cellular network as I possibly could before we got up to the to the high parts of the mountains where there was no cellular connection. Along with that, I took a bunch of pictures. And in fact, I found in my photo library a photo that is the earliest photo taken on an iPhone. It is marked as image underscore 0002. My guess is I took another image that was nothing or bad or didn't make any sense. But all of the images starting there are of my family it's my it's my son strapped in a car seat and my wife driving and then my daughter uh sitting in the back seat um hmm. as we take our trip my son's got his sippy cup uh there's a there's a picture of traffic from out the front windshield perfect um it is so that's the first stuff i took first photos i took with the iphone are all of my family in the car driving to the place where we were going to camp for a week um and then I was, you know, using that as some of my data points for my iPhone review. Uh, I have no idea what the answer is for me. I have kind of pre-2000 and something. There is, all of my photos are on a drive somewhere. I don't know where this drive is. I know I have it at home somewhere. I just got to dig it out and do something with it. It's like, I understand that that might make some people recoil in horror, but it's just like photos I don't care about. Like I really don't care about them. Um, so there's just there is it there in a number of years where I just don't have those pictures in anywhere reliable. But you know, so I have no I I can't answer this question because uh, all of my my uh, the original my like the earliest set of photos that I have uh, on my photo in my photo library start in. Let me check when this is. 2013. Hmm. The rest are somewhere else. One day I will do something with them. I have, in my photo library, it's funny, um, I have a a scattering of photos before 2001, Mm -hmm. but that was when we bought a digital camera. It was in the the fall of 2001. And that's when the onslaught of photos begins. Although it leads, it's funny, it leads to this different era so the first off there's the era before digital photography where i've scanned some of those in yeah and i keep meaning to gather up basically like all my old negatives and have somebody scan them all just so that i can have those because there's this era of film cameras where you didn't take a camera with you everywhere and you didn't take very many shots because you had to get them delivered and eat or developed and then you had to go get them and then even if you got them 
they're not in the your digital shoebox, right? So that's an era. What I didn't understand when we bought our first digital camera is we were entering another era, which is the era when you had to take pictures with your digital camera and you didn't have a, a smartphone with you. And so it's all of those pictures we took are in my library, but they're not as consistent because I didn't have a camera with me everywhere, right? It was mm. still sort of taking, I can take more pictures now because the con- concept of a, uh, the cost of taking a, a, a picture is way less when you've got a digital camera. And then there's this little tiny window where it's smartphone pictures without geotagging. And, and I find myself being like, where did I, I know I took this picture here. Why does it say there are no pictures here? And it turns out it's from before they did geotagging in photos. So I can't search based on its location. And then there's the modern era, which is everybody's got a smartphone. All the pictures are geotagged and that's the modern era. So, uh, but my, yeah, my library starts in 2001 where it, we bought a digital camera and then it just explodes. Um, that's, and then like the, the past before that is just, um, a mystery essentially <laughs> like um i feel bad about it because i know that i've got some photos around but it's almost as if the photos before then other than the few that i scanned in just don't exist our friend john syracuse every now and then in in a slack that we're in with him he'll post a, a picture from the past and i can tell yep. that john's still scanning in old film very slowly scanning in all of his old film and to be like hey here's a picture of my computer from the 90s and I have some of those too. I mean, what's, what else has he got to do these days? You know what I mean? Yeah. We also have some family like slides from Lauren's family and, and I, I want to just send them out and have them scanned and then, you know, and then I'll throw them away. I, I just, cause I don't want them, but I also don't want to throw them away. I feel like we need to actually uh, have them scanned in. So I'll, I'll get to it at some point. If you would like to send in a question to help us on, uh, open an episode of Upgrade, just like Nathan did, just send out a tweet with the hashtag SnowTalk or use question mark SnowTalk in the RelayFM members' Discord. Please send some in. Help us uh, start out an episode of Upgrade. It could be about whatever you want. So as we are recording today, it is uh, May 9th, 2022. We are exactly yeah. one month from WWDC. Tw- I mean, tw- four weeks. Sure. I mean, WWDC, well, on, on June 9th, it'll be the Thursday of WWDC. Why so. do I keep doing this stuff? I'm, I'm, I was convinced <laughs> that it was the 9th of, Ju- of June is when WWDC was. What is wrong with me? I'm really struggling. My conception of May and June over the last few weeks has been horrific. It's, it's, nine is just six upside down. It's fine. That's true. That must have been what it is. <laughs> They're very similar yeah. numbers. And it is, it is. 28 days it is four weeks we'll away from one. today so so i i think that um by yeah sure it's soon that's what we're saying it's soon and today may 9th apple has opened the registration ability for people developers to sign up to attend uh the day-long event happening at Apple Park. I actually saw on Twitter some uh, Apple employees referenced that as well as the keynote and State of the Union, the Apple Design Awards will occur on this day. I haven't seen that reflected in any of Apple's official materials, so, you know, you can can take that as hearsay from me at the moment. Uh, But yeah, so developers can apply, they can submit their request to join between May 9th and May 11th, and then everybody will be told uh, by May 12th, so Thursday of this week, if they're going to be visiting. Um, I'm still remain intrigued about what on earth this event is actually going to look like and how or if it's going to change the presentation of WWDC. Yeah, it's it's still a mystery. I guess we'll find out. I mean, at some point, 
we may find out beforehand or or not. It's, I don't know. It's something new. Apple mm-hmm. hasn't done it before. It's harder to predict. So we've been talking in the last couple of weeks about uh, Jason and I were going to be ripping apart a magic keyboard to extract the goodness of mm. the Touch ID sensor inside. Uh, we did it on Friday. There's a YouTube it. video I include in the show notes uh, of the entire process if you some if you want to go and watch it. I think it was really fun. We had a good time hanging out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, uh, full of trials and tribulations, I will say. Could not have scripted it better, in fact, I would yeah. say. There were lots of twists and turns mm-hmm. to up the drama of... Will they do it? We've already spoiled it. We did it. But, yeah, we did. Um, but there was a lot of like uh, twists and turns and shocking moments and, and popping sounds. and and But it all worked out. It all worked out. We were very lucky actually during that uh, stream in, to be joined in the Twitch chat by Chaos Tian, who is the person who inspired this entire thing. Like The person who extracted the Touch ID sensor and confirmed that it worked. Uh, we were lucky because the iFixit guide that we were trying to use wasn't great for no. this particular keyboard. I mean, and I wouldn't nec- some of the stuff I didn't like. I didn't like the way iFixit wrote some of the guide, but uh, and I had some issues with that. Um, but really, the the internals of the keyboards had changed from the non Touch ID version to the Touch ID version. So after observing some of these struggles, Chaos actually put together uh, some instructions of their own which kind of, I think, uh, add a little bit more uh, necessary context for some of the things that you would want to uh, know if you're going to attempt this yourself. Mm-hmm. I would say that this is not a complicated thing. It is just requires an equal measure of brute force and very careful extraction, which is an intriguing thing, but that, that are the two things that you need. One of the things we were talking about a lot afterwards that I still haven't worked out what I'm going to do personally is where this is going to go. Like right now, I just have uh, a logic board and some very thin ribbon cables and a button. And I need to do something with it. Like ultimately, I want to put it inside of a, a keyboard case, but the issue is I need to be able to run two cables or need to be able to run the lightning cable inside because I don't want to get a Bluetooth radio and attach it to a battery, because that just seems like a nightmare. Uh, yeah. But Chaos made their own 3D printed case, which I'll put a link in the show notes to, and they they also included like uh, uh, some instructions on how they did that, like 3D print and stuff. So I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something with it. For me, this was more a, can I do this? You know, this, this has been like a big thing of my last couple of years with these types of electronics projects, is like, do I have the ability to do this? And thankfully, the answer was yes, I did have the ability to do it. And I think we had a great time uh, making it work together. So go check it out. It was really fun, I think. Yeah, and it it uh, inspired me. I, I definitely want to do this too, but I need to, you know, I, I want to have it end up being usable, which means that I, I am going to need to figure out what that case situation is. So yeah. we'll have to monitor that. If we find out that there's a, there's good, like like Chaos has a, has a, simple 3d k printed case Mm -hmm. maybe other people are working on something um that that's i want that to be part of the process because i i don't want to have a just a yeah i wouldn't recommend doing it just to do what i've done as such like i think the next part is important i showed this project to lauren and her immediate response was oh they should just make that yeah 
They should make it. Like I mean, it was just immediate. And she's got a she's got a laptop that she uses um, when she's at home at a uh, a lot of the time at a desk with an external keyboard, and then has to reach up to do the touch ID. And she was like, "Oh yeah, that makes so much sense." And I I admit. Maybe Apple will never make this because it is such a weird thing to just have a standalone Touch ID thing and they're admitting that people aren't using their keyboards and all that. But something we said on the stream that I think really needs to be restated is it would be, um, I I think the perfect place for this is in the Magic Trackpad. Mm-hmm. Um, that they doing a version of the Magic Trackpad that just has a little tiny corner with the Touch ID button, Touch ID sensor on it is all you know, all you really need. And then you've made it not a requirement to use Apple's keyboard. Cause I know not everybody uses Apple's keyboard. Yeah. I would expect more people use magic trackpad than use Apple's keyboards. I don't know. Probably. Because you always need some kind of input device. And I think the trackpad mm-hmm. does, I think the trackpad does really well. So I would love to see that too. You just put it on the little top corner there. Oh man. I'd be, be after the races. It'd be fantastic. Right. Studio display. Uh, I don't think we're going to touch on this too much, but there's been another beta which has included yet more tweaks to the camera processing. So they're clearly continuing to tinker with this, right? Yeah, I I haven't noticed much of a difference. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but um, I one one of the things I did not do last week was go through the whole process of putting the two um, displays front and back and also what i'm doing is i'm leaving the other display that i've got on the original firmware not playing a game of like one up upsmanship along the way i'm trying to keep the original firmware there so i can compare all these betas to the original firmware but it seems like they're tinkering there's definitely more that they can do um and you know settings is ultimately what they really should do is let us set the (laughs) set the settings for the camera please According to Zoe Schiffer from The Verge, Apple's director of machine learning has resigned over Apple's requirements for in-office working. Ian Goodfellow has been at Apple for just over four years. In an email to team members, he said, quote, I believe strongly that more flexibility would have been the best policy for my team. Yeah, I, I don't know. what What's unclear here is, was he leaving, you know, because what what we know is he left and he said that this was bad. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean that this is why he left, but he he took a shot on out the door, and it might have been a motivator for him to leave. So it's a data point. It's a data point. I like to see. Well, Schiffer says in her tweet, "Is leaving the company due to its return to work policy?" Okay. I mean, that's all we have is that tweet. But yeah, I I, that's the I don't know if based on what was quoted. It's clear to me that that's accurate, uh, but maybe it is. Um, she's seen the the email, apparently. Um, I will say that I like to see uh, managers standing up for their team, mm-hmm. right? Because so much of this seems to have been individual, motivated by individual workers saying, we don't want to do this, and having a manager say, this is bad for my team, and they are making us do this without flexibility and... Uh, and it is it is bad for my team, and that's good to hear. But obviously, you know, if that was the case, uh, it didn't stop, it didn't prevent Ian Goodfellow from leaving. Like he left, so that's not great. Yeah, I, maybe we don't know how many people there are that have done this, right? 
like I expect it's more than just this one person, but they're high up enough that they would send an email out, for example, to a team that could be uh, leaked, which is what's happened. But you've got to assume that he's not the only one. But then, but there's also the argument from Apple's perspective of like this is what they want, and probably when they were thinking about this plan that they have, assumed that they would lose people, and that they, I guess, weighed it up and felt that it was something that they were willing to do. But well, I think time's going to tell as to if this becomes more and more of an issue uh, going forward. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. But obviously some people are are pretty unhappy about it. And it is that idea which we've spoken about before. They made it work, right? Apple has made it work. The company is not ground to a halt. Um, There is clearly the ability for there to be more distributed working. They obviously believe it to a point because they're allowing for it at least a couple of days a week, right? It's not like Apple's moved to a three-day work week. I don't think they're expecting no work is done on the two days a week when people (laughs) are at home. So, but they're, they're, the wide ruling is weird to me. I think that it should be given as a more, as, as Goodfellas says, like more flexibility for their team. I think, mm-hmm. I think that answers the question that we had of like, will Apple be giving a lot more control over individual managers to make their own decisions? Well, it seemed like in this situation, the answer was no for the machine learning team, right? Because that's clearly what Goodfellow was asking for, more flexibility for his team, and he didn't get that. Jason, let's travel back to the Netherlands. We're back. Oh, boy. We're back. Oh, boy, is it time for some Dutch dating? Tulips everywhere. It's time to date in the Netherlands. It's Dutch dating time. So I would assume everybody remembers a number of weeks ago, uh, Apple revised and altered its plan for dealing with external linking and alternative payment models. So like the ability for somebody to pay with a third-party payment company. This is in the hopes of appeasing Dutch regulators, right? So remember, they, they, there was this ruling. Apple tried to ignore it for a while. Then they created a set of um, like rules and guidelines on how they were going to do it. They then revised them. They changed the language of the interstitial screens, et cetera, et cetera. They were then giving this, like, here it is. This is what we're going to do. And it went off to the Dutch regulators, and they are still not happy. They have said that this new approach is an improvement over what Apple provided before, but still not sufficient enough to comply with their rulings. Uh, they have now, Apple has now hit the maximum fines of 50 million euro because they were doing 5 million a week. Uh, and they've now hit that. But now the regulators are considering alternative penalties because Apple has still not provided them of what they were looking for in the first place. I don't know where this is going to go, right? It seems like a very weird game of um, like 20 questions happening behind the scenes. (laughs) It's like, is this enough? No, try again. How about this? Mm -mm. Closer, warmer. (laughs) Because my assumption is that from the regulator's perspective, they've been pretty clear. Because Google got it right, mm. right? Google made a Google made their proposal, and it's been accepted. Right, but Apple's like, we want to do the least yep. possible, because mm-hmm. it's clearly not the uh, the fees thing either, right? Because you know we were talking about that, like about what the fees are. Because Google is still taking a pretty hefty fee, not as hefty as Apple's, but pretty hefty. It's it's clearly just the way that it's being it's being shown, and they're just not whatever for whatever reason meeting the the rules. And 
I just wonder how much time, effort, and attention is this really taking from Apple, and if they should. How how many more times are we going to have to go through this? This is just one of many, right? Like, anyway. But that's an yep. update. I'm sure we'll come back to this again at some point in the future. Well, apparently we will, because they haven't resolved anything. Nope, nothing is resolved. This episode is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas's mission is simple, to make the most comfortable clothing ever and to match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're giving to someone in need. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes that you can't wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tackless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. They're made from super soft materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere, which makes them perfect, cozy layers for you to wear. There's a pair of Bombas socks for everything that you do. They come in tons of options, like comfy performance styles for every sport and activity that keeps you moving. That's what I have on today. Um, I have some of their like ankle performance socks. Uh, I wear them when I'm working out. I also wear them when the weather gets warm here. I absolutely love them for this, mainly because like I've always had issues with like uh, shoes rubbing on my ankles when wearing these types of socks. But what I love about Bombas is they have padding just on that exact area, and it just keeps things really comfortable. So I can wear a lighter sock, but still get the comfort that I'm looking for, which I just think is fantastic. Bombas' t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weights that they hang just right. Bombas' underwear has a barely there feel that might make you forget that they're actually there, but in a good way. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That is why Bombas donates one for every single item you buy. So, go to bombas.com slash upgrade and you can get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash upgrade for 20% off. One more time, that URL is bombas.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Bombas for their support of this show and Relay FM. Rumor Roundup. Yeehaw, partner. We're going to go to Mark Gurman for a couple of rumors this week, Jason. Mark Gurman is reporting that Apple is working on new features for Fitness Plus, hoping to be introduced this year. This would include new workout types, which seems like an obvious addition. You just keep kind of increasing that over time. Different uh, instructors, different types of workouts. That seems like the obvious. Upgrades to the Apple TV experience. Um, we don't know what they are, but I know people have had frustrations with that, especially like if multiple people wanted to do uh, a workout. I hope that Apple try and find some way to do that, um, which would be pretty cool. Oh, yeah, that would be good. Uh, also, this one's weird to me. I don't get this. Also, uh, apparently, Apple are exploring, quote, an Instacart-like service that integrates with nutrition data in the health app. Now, if I'm following right, that means Apple wants to deliver your groceries? Like, I don't. am I following that correctly? And wants to log your meals? I... I don't know. Right? Very I don't weird, get this. Right? I, don't, I don't understand this at all. Or is it a service that they're partnering with that will bring little, you know, boxes of food to your house and, lay, you know, labeled for you and then you eat I them and it knows? I don't need my computer company to be handling my groceries for me. No, this seems, this seems like uh, too far. Also, any experience that I've had with like even apps that are like, oh, we'll build your shopping list and all that. It's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't work for me. It, it just, it has never worked yep. because the level of specificity that I have about what I want to buy is way more than they're capable of doing. Yeah. 
I I don't understand this. It seems like an unnecessarily complicated thing. If they want to get more into like nutrition tracking, calorie tracking, like as a thing for the health and fitness teams, fine. But the idea of integrating it with real world grocery delivery services, unless it's an API, I don't understand it, right? Like Mm -hmm. if they're developing tools for companies that do this to integrate into the health app, that's one thing but them trying to develop some kind of system. I don't know. This seems like someone heard something and it got spit through somebody else. It didn't make any sense. I just I just can't think of the logic in this at all. I, no. Uh, Mark Gurman also gave a little bit more detail. This is all coming from his Power On newsletter, of course, uh, on the hardware subscription plans that Apple's looking to do. Uh, so this is the idea of you paying monthly and getting your iPhone, your iPad, or your Mac and getting them refreshed and stuff like that. So, you know, doing more than the upgrade program, just actual subscriptions for uh, hardware devices. Uh, Apple wants to make this experience on par with the other services that you uh, already have. So you would use your iCloud or App Store account to subscribe and it would all just be managed like any service. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems like they don't want to make it this whole big thing like the, you know, the iPhone upgrade program right now is like a huge big thing, right? You are going through credit checks and doing all that stuff. I don't know how Apple could make this work, like, if they want to make it as simple as signing up for Apple TV Plus. Like, how do you manage that, like, that the person's not just going to pay once and then cancel their account and they've got your device, right? Like, I'm intrigued to see what that ends up looking like. If they want to make mm-hmm. it simple, you potentially run into some problems there. Uh, the current expectation for this is late 2022 as a launch date at the earliest. Um, the Apple are top prioritizing their buy now, pl- pay later installment plan option first. And this is like the idea of like you could go to the Apple store and you'd be able to split your new iPad purchase over four payments, which is, yep. uh, I think, as you've mentioned, what all the kids are doing these days. It's a hot thing with the kids, right? Mm-hmm. That you're when I walk to my Apple store, there are signs throughout the the uh, outdoor shopping center, basically, mm-hmm. uh, about for various services that are you know pay in three, pay in four. The idea that that it doesn't cost eight hundred dollars if you pay in four. Mm-hmm. It costs. $200 for four months. There's some logic to it, right? I, no, the, the logic is that people um, people have that, will be able to pay the payment stretched out over four, but they don't have enough money in the bank to buy it right now. Mm-hmm. And rather than doing it like on layaway or something like that, they they uh, they just get it and then know they're committed. You know, And then we can have a discussion of, of uh, I saw an article today about like how many of those things do the people fail to make the payments and what is the, what are the penalties and all of that is, it's still paying on credit essentially so you can get yourself in trouble but it has also proven to be a pretty popular way for people who don't have a lot of money sort of in the bank but are 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 willing to make the payments and stretch it out to get the thing that they want so and if yeah. i'm remembering rightly like a lot of these if like a lot of these things they're not actually charging you interest either it's just right oh is... no they, that's generally they are if you make if you make the payments in four mm-hmm. or whatever then it's just it's literally one quarter of the price every month for yep. four months it's just interest free credit and like you know at that point I think there's some logic to doing it. Like, even sure. if you have the money, just split it out. Make it less of a hit on yourself. You know what I mean? Why not? Just well, especially it? if it's Apple doing it, and mm-hmm. so it's just sort of like 
coming out of your same credit card as all your other Apple stuff and all yeah. of that. And then you're like, put it on my account, basically. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it's very much Apple trying to take control. I mean, this is obviously part of being a person at Apple is to always survey your partnerships and the places where you're outsourcing to other companies and say, should we be doing that ourselves? And a lot of times the answer is probably no. But mm-hmm. occasionally I do think that they they see something and they say, mm, yeah, maybe we should do this. And the financial stuff clearly is an area where they they would like to um, eliminate those partners and just do it themselves. And then a couple of little bits on uh, AirPods. Apple's still planning to release new AirPods Pro later this year. Uh, Mark mentions this would be prudent because the batteries are probably starting to fall off for early AirPods Pro customers uh, like me. The AirPod, my AirPods Pro batteries are real struggling now. This is what oh, happened with the original AirPods for me too. Uh, when I replaced my original AirPods of AirPods Pro, you know, been out for a couple of years, and they brought out a new one. I'm, I'm having to charge my AirPods much more frequently, like the now, case I, and and the AirPods themselves. I'm not having this issue mostly because I had my AirPods Pro replaced mm-hmm. due to the rattling issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they seem to be they seem to have a little more life, but I'm uh, I love them, and so I I would be happy to see what a new set look like and and how they're improved, um, because I love the current ones. So hopefully yep. they'll just get better, and that'll give me a reason to get a new set. Because and do, I do they're, love they're my favorite that this is an Apple product that they do not feel the need to update every year. They just wait. Yeah, they a couple of years. I think it's fantastic. It works for me. Uh, Mark also mentions a refresh of the AirPods Max with new color options, but probably no other changes. Hopefully a price drop, says Mark, which I would agree. I think they should probably reduce the price. I love my AirPods Max, but uh, they are not worth the price I paid for them, (laughs) I would say. Um, I still want to see an AirPods Max 2 with uh, lighter materials, because that would be better for a lot more people and would help make them cheaper, and folding. Folding is the biggest thing that I want to right. see from, from that product. Otherwise, it's a fantastic product uh, But for me, but I, I don't think that it is uh, great for everybody. So Air- I would AirPods love to see Max, it more. Uh, AirPods, AirPods Studio. AirPods Studio. That was the rumored the name, right? Back in right. the day. And now they've got Studio products, yeah. so it's a better name. It's a better name. It's a way better name. It's a way better name. Studio is the best. Max sucks. Sorry Studio if your name's Max. Studio has a... Music connotation. Yes, it's Max, a perfect name. Max does not. It may have. It may purely have been like they were going to call them Apple Studio, and marketing was like, "Nope, we have got that name for something right. else. Come up with something. Come up Hands go back to the drawing board." Off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or they're like, "Well, we don't want confusion with Beats, which has some studio." But it's like too bad. I don't think that AirPods mattered. Studio. It's fine. We're gonna go back to a not often news segment here, Jason. Now. Time for upshift here because we have some Apple car news. Apple has hired a Ford veteran, Mark Gurman and Keith Nelton, are reporting at Bloomberg that Apple has hired Desi Ujekovicek from Ford. Her previous roles at Ford were in vehicle safety and engineering. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's been at Ford for over 30 years, most recently as the Global Director of Automotive Safety Engineering. Uh, as well as assisting on engineering of various car components. Ujay Kavishak has history with working on regulatory issues as well. So, an interesting person to bring over. Uh, as a reminder, 
just to get everybody up to date, Apple has had a ton of issues retaining key talent in the car project. Um, it had previously been run by another Ford veteran, Doug Field, who left. It's currently being overseen by Kevin Lynch. Yes, the guy from Adobe who did the Apple Watch uh, is running the car project. Uh, this report kind of doesn't give any indication as to where Uje Kavishek will sit from a leadership perspective at this stage. Um, right. It doesn't right. seem it, like from the way it's written that she'll be heading the project, but will, would be high up. But uh, it's, it is a you know a serious, uh, well thought of person who's been a uh, Ford executive for a long time. I yep. think that's interesting in terms of how seriously they're taking it. It does also possibly say something about her wanting a new challenge, about what Ford's reorg around EVs looked like, and maybe she wasn't happy with where she ended up in that. I mean, yes. there's a lot of reasons that this could have happened, but it is somebody who's a serious auto industry executive who's coming to work on this project, which I think is, if nothing else, it's a data point of like, oh, I guess this is still happening and they're yep. still taking it seriously. They're still hiring Because people. otherwise somebody mm. this seriously entrenched in the auto industry would not and in fact, if you look at like safety and regulatory, it you could even say this suggests more of an intent to ship something, right? That at some point you need to start getting your ducks in a row in order to have your vehicle be approved and street legal, right? You need yeah. somebody who actually has experienced what it's like to work with regulators uh, to build cars that are acceptable and safe and legal and that this is what she's been doing. So they may be like, oh, we need somebody who actually can make sure that this is not just a theory, but a product that we can actually sell. I mean, especially considering all of the report and continues to indicate that Apple's current plan is to aim towards a fully self-driving car with no steering wheel or pedals, they're going to need <laughs> this kind of assistance to try and get people to let them do that. I, I, well, or, or I hope that, uh, that she comes in and, and says, excuse me, what now? <laughs> well, but here's the thing. Like, you, you, you put something in my mind a minute ago about like the seriousness. Now, I'm assuming that someone like this is not, uh, they're not answering a... Um, like a job posting, they're being headhunted, right? Probably yes. Right, you would be. It would be it, my indeed. assumption. That, uh, this you know, kind you know of my level. my my father in law was a, a high level executive headhunter, so mm -hmm. absolutely, right? Like <laughs> I could picture it. Right? It's like they come, they come and say, "We need a high, we need a vice president or a president level person to come and do this thing," and then they go and they find the four people who could do that, and they and especially, them. Yeah. you know, it, you know, it's possible that. Uh, Ujek Vishek was on the list because uh, that Doug, a list that Doug Field made. It could entirely right? be, right? Of like, here's a bunch of people that would be really good. Either they already, or, like or, Field had already made it or left it or whatever, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. On his desk, he was like, people who could <laughs> people replace me. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yes, and so you would think also that Desi Ujek Vishek would not have... Um, who would not have taken this job without very clearly knowing what Apple's aims are and what Apple's right exactly. They're sitting are. down, and she's going to say, "All right, so what's what's the plan here? What are you looking for?" 
Exactly. So while it's funny to imagine her getting there and then on day one, they're like, okay, what we're going to do is there's going to be no steering wheel. And <laughs> Where's the wheel? Go, Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> in, in reality, I do, I do wonder though, again, this is, look, this is us expressing the same skepticism we've expressed in the past, which is, I think that there is literally zero chance of Apple releasing a car that only self-drives and doesn't have controls for people to drive normally. I think, like, I'll say it again. Zero chance because it's just not like, and and certainly not in the next decade, right? Like this self-driving tech is not good anywhere. The companies that have been working on it for ages, it's still not good enough. And it's certainly not good enough for you to not have the ability to take control or to drive it in certain circumstances where it can't be run. I, I'm, I'm willing to go, and this is just summarizing a, a past episode, but like I'm willing to go down the the path of like on highways, it'll be self fully self-driving and all that. It's like, okay, I, I'm willing to at least accept that it's possible that like Tesla software will be good enough that in certain places you can set it and forget it, even though right now the full self-driving beta stuff is, you know, again, on highways, it's pretty good, except when it's terrible on streets, it's, it's much more difficult and problematic than that. But to make it so perfect that you don't need controls is never, I mean, never with an asterisk saying, let's say in the next decade, as a part of this Apple project, mm. ever going to be the case. It's, you gotta, it's, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. A project like this as well, you've got to be able to build something that consumers are going to feel comfortable owning and getting behind the wheel of. And I mean, I, I am I, such a fan of Apple, obviously, right? And love everything that they make. I wouldn't want to get Apple's first generation car, even if it was a normal car. Right, because they are not a car company. Yeah, I think, yeah, you'd be in for a ride. But I will say, if Apple, like, I can imagine an Apple car. I can. It's been long enough that we've been talking about this that I can imagine an Apple car. I can imagine Apple sort of, you know, they missed their shot in the sense that they should have been out out there competing with Tesla and Rivian, and now all the big automakers are coming in. But I can still imagine an Apple car that's luxurious, it's more expensive, it's got really nice tech on the inside, it's got integration with cellular networks and your phone and all of that kind of stuff, that the software on board is really, really good. Like... I can imagine all of that and that it has great safety features and that it has great smart driving features and all that. Like I can picture all of that. It, it, the question has always been with this project, where does Apple draw that line in terms of below here, we can't ship it because it's just too much like all the other products. And is a really nice car that's more like a Lucid Air or a, or a Tesla Model S kind of like a really nice expensive but very good electric car is that enough for apple or does apple need to have that feature that's going to blow them away and that's my concern about this project is it seems that rather than doing a really nice electric car they're trying to find that feature that'll blow them away and i'm not sure that that feature is one that they're going to be able to execute on so so if this rumor was well they're going to do a car but it's going to have really good self-driving software that's going to be much better than what tesla is doing or something like that it's like okay i could believe that that was their goal 
leaving aside, again, the analysis of would it really be that way? I could believe that that's their goal. But when it's like, you won't even be have a steering wheel. There'll be a secret steering wheel that will only pop out in very specific circumstances for legal reasons. But it, it will it won't even look like a steering wheel. It'll look like I, I don't even know what. Right. That's where they lose me because I just I don't think that that is within their reach or quite frankly anyone's reach to have a car so good at driving itself that you don't need a steering wheel just seems um, impossible. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Capital One. Have you ever hit a technical snafu while shopping online? Has filling out payment fields given you a headache or has mobile banking, your, your app that you use, ever been down when you wanted to use it? Well, Capital One believes everybody deserves better banking. Really, this means easier access to money with more security. That's why Capital One is investing in machine learning, because it lets them do that. Machine learning allows Capital One to do things like fight fraud of random forests. They have these models that quickly detect suspicious activity. This makes it faster to alert federal investigators. They identify how mobile app outages happen with causal models as well, so they can make sure that they keep their mobile app up and running. This doesn't happen by accident. Anomaly detection and incident response help determine why these app outages are happening. This is so engineers can quickly remedy them. Capital One speed up online shopping with machine learning at the edge. This makes shopping with virtual card numbers smoother and more secure. This technology is based on logistic regression models and running inference in the browser. This identifies payment fields. This helps make using virtual card numbers easier and faster. The potential of machine learning is so big. See how Capital One is using machine learning to create the future of banking. Search machine learning at Capital One. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Our thanks to Capital One for their support of this show and Relay FM. Hey, Jason, what's your password? Uh, it is a long series of. Is this a, are, is this really Mike? Are you fishing me right now? It's I'm a long series right of numbers now. and letters. Um, While with I still symbols. can, Jason Snow, I'm trying to yeah. steal your password. Well, get better be quick about it because uh-huh. pretty soon I'm not going to have one. I will read from press release. On Apple's newsroom page. It's a joint press release. It's even better. Indeed. In a joint effort to make the web more secure and usable for all, Apple, Google, and Microsoft... What what an unholy alliance. Apple, (laughs) Google, and Microsoft (laughs) today announced plans to expand support for a common passwordless sign-in standard created by the FIDO Alliance and the World Wide Web Consortium. The new capability will allow websites and apps to offer consistent, secure, and easy passwordless sign-on sign-ins to consumers across devices and platforms. I got distracted by the idea of like I'm so happy that they added Microsoft to this because the last time Apple and Google got together to do something, it caused so many problems. Mm. <laughs> Remember the, ex- the the exposure notification stuff? How much of a nightmare oh, yeah, that ended up true. being for them? Basically, well, don't forget, uh, don't forget the the new smart home consortium that hasn't happened yet. Matter, Matter right? Yeah, there's too there's too many Still of them involved in that. Happened one. yet? These are this whole thing. If you're not understanding what I'm talking about right now, this is pretty complicated. This is end-to-end passwordless options, basically allowing you to sign into a website or an app or a service with the same method you use to unlock, say, your phone. This could be biometrics, face ID, touch ID, or your passcode or password that you use to unlock your phone. Let me give you a good example. If you go to Apple's website and you try to log in to see your uh, orders or something, Mm -hmm. on a modern macOS or iOS browser, 
you don't get a password field. You get a system authentication request yep. that has you do touch ID or I don't know whether the watch ID thing works or you put in your password for your computer, your, your, your device password, mm-hmm. not or face ID on iOS, right? You, you, don't, you don't put in the password. You don't put in your Apple ID password. You, you authenticate, at which point you're logged in. The idea here is you would be able to do that everywhere. <laughs> yes. And also, that, that system dialogue is just giving you an easier way to sign in. You still have a password, right? You still have the password. This system removes passwords completely. There aren't any. You have a username, and then your device takes over with right. the authentication. I actually don't know. I think maybe there are cases in Apple system where you're authenticating using biometrics or with your device password mm-hmm. that I don't I don't know if it's sending your Apple ID password at that point or right. if it's sending the signed cryptographic I mean, blob possibly. that verifies your identity. But that account, and that's, that, that I still is have a password though. though, right? Like that, there is right. one. The, the, the right. service has a password for me. Sure. And I think in the future, I mean, we can we can talk about some of the details here, but I, I think there will probably be lots of cases where you also have to have optionally a password depending on what, you know, or there's a de- per device password, a one-time password, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But yeah, the idea is there. you're not just putting in your authentication so that your system can look up in its little password manager what your password is and send it. The idea here is you basically sign up on this website and say, this is me. And there's a cryptographic exchange. And then the next time you come back and it wants you to log in, you pass the proof that you're you mm-hmm. via a cryptographic exchange and it lets you in. And that's yep. it. Yeah, I read about, I read in detail a little bit more from this. It's something you linked to. Uh, Dan Morin of Six Colors yes. wrote up an article about a WWDC session from 2021 where Apple introduced their take on this. So, right. uh, and this was like, because it is based on a standard, but now the large tech companies are like trying to make it a public thing and push it forward. Right, and, right. So this is, yeah. So Apple's already doing the work on this. There's yeah. WebAuthn and uh, Fido. And the press release that came out last week is essentially all three major operating system vendors saying, yes, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so Apple's already been working on it. It's a, it's in iOS 15 and Monterey, but it's disabled by default. It's just Preview. meant to be used as a test yep. so people can test to this. But um, and, and you can watch the session if you want to. And Dan, Dan's write-up is really good. He wrote quite a, quite a lot about what's in the session. And yep. then you can also... Um, watch the session if you want to, but it makes things way easier um, and way more secure because it's not even using a password generator. It's using this whole cryptographic thing, and it's doing a lot of things that you're familiar with, like a a barcode where you know you're in your browser, and your browser sees the barcode and says, "Oh, here's the setup," and it it's all supposed to happen automatically. And like there, they are. It's not here yet, but we're getting. If you've ever been like, ah, I'm really tired of passwords being compromised and password managers and all of those things, um, just know that the the three major OS vendors are all working on this new standard that should make everything way more secure. Yeah, I will say there is a part of me I can't get my head completely around how this couldn't be spoofed, but I'm just going to assume that obviously this has been considered and would be basically impossible to do. It's a little bit complicated. It's like a little bit confusing to me, like because you pass this key, right? 
but like why could the key not be intercepted i I don't fully understand that part um but i'm just going to assume that it's fine i think it's i think it's all based on on public key encryption so the idea there is that um, when the original link is made, a secret is exchanged, and then you're the only one who's got the ability to uh, make that secret, essentially. And and that's how public key encryption works in a, okay. the most simplified version ever. Here's my issue with that: the word "public." That's what. I, that's where I start to get stuck. Oh yeah, well no, but it's it's the public key means anybody can anybody can um, decode, but only you can encode. Um, okay. Or anybody can encode, but only you can decode. Yeah, that's one the way. One. Or the anyway, other. it's it's a it's a one way it's a one way thing. Okay. Um, they should get the better words. Public is not a good word for passwords, right? Okay. You, you see what private, I'm saying here? Well, it is okay. Private key encryption. But that sounds that? better. better? Do, do you not do okay. you not agree with me? Right? Like just as a way to try and explain this to someone yeah. like me, if it was called private, it makes me feel better it. than the word okay. public. It's, it's right? super secret private encryption. I know format. you're making fun of me now, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah, like the, this I do. is where stuff like this can start to get no, complicated right. well, for that, someone when you're trying to explain it to them. That's why instead of calling it that, they're just going to call it WebAuthn or Fido. Well, or, Apple call them pass keys, which I think is keys. a pretty good a pretty yeah. good um, way of describing it. So part of the thinking around this is like it, what it should do is reduce a couple of things quite significantly. One would be phishing attempts because there isn't a password you can give to a malicious website there isn't a password that you can give to somebody over email or over the phone or whatever there is because there is no password um and sms interception of two-factor codes would go away because in essence there can always be a second factor which is another device i don't understand how that would work exactly on say if you were logging in on your phone Right, there right. isn't and a th- two-factor part. And there's a question about what happens if you've got a shared account where like multiple people need to be logged into it. But yeah. I, again, I'm without diving deep into this. I'm pretty sure that the people working on this are anticipating all of these uses and are mm-hmm. working on ways around it. Right. The idea here, though, is that the I, that that you you would put in a username and a password and submit it as a way to control your presence on the internet is going to be replaced by something more secure. And that's the big picture thing, right? Yeah. Is, I think that's good, personally. Yeah. I, think it's, I yeah. think this is a good idea. I think as our lives are moving increasingly online, the requirement for individuals to have strong passwords and two-factor yeah, and a system where both of those things are not linked to anything else that you own, right? You don't want to use the same password twice. Uh, you want to make sure you use two-factor, but ooh, not SMS messaging. Like the level of complexity that just an individual user has to have to try and keep any kind of modicum of security these days. Because even if you do all the right things, a service can be hacked and your password stolen, and <laughs> your account is compromised, right? Like, right. Everything that you have to do to still only be partly secured is it's becoming too complicated. And things and, like, you know, like the Apple doing the iCloud keychain and the strong passwords and all that kind of stuff, that's only part of the way, right? Like it only stops like half of the stuff from going wrong, you know? And the, the truth is that um, 
even this is a, a frustrating for very technical people. For non-technical people, it's terrible, right? Like lots of people don't use a password manager. Uh, lots of people use the, still use the same password everywhere, or they've got a p- sheet of paper or a notebook and they write down their passwords, right? Like their the passwords are are bad, not just because they're insecure, but because they're hard to manage, right? Passwords are bad because they're hard to manage. And uh, I know we're going to we're gonna talk about 1Password, the product, in a second, but one of the ideas behind 1Password and other password managers is you reduce it to sort of a single way of authentication, and then everything else is handled for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's better, right? But you have to get there. And even Apple adding password managers to iOS and macOS, like still a lot of people don't use them. A lot of people don't understand them. And it, and then the more complex it gets, well, now you need a two-factor thing and you probably shouldn't put that as an SMS message. It should be on your phone. And how do you get it in? John Syracuse on ATP last week was talking about how hard it was to get uh, barcode authentication for his son's college login, right? And that was a highly technical person who couldn't get it to work. Like it, it is... Even for technical people, it's hard. For non-technical people, it's very, very hard. And that that is going to be the weak point where people try to exploit them and rob them. And and it's bad. So there has to be like a new way of doing this. And this is it. And it's exciting because a lot of smart security people have been working for a long time to try to find... Oh, this is like email being totally open because the internet was invented when there were no security mm-hmm. risks and everybody was trusted mm-hmm. and e- as a result email is just broken forever right well this like, is kind of yeah. like that for passwords which is when the web came into being things weren't even secure it was unsecure and you would just send your password insecurely and like it, and it's got to change right it, it, it there's too much valuable stuff on the internet it needs to change and we've been adding all these other multi-factor security things on top of it and telling people to create, have a password manager and have these long chains of unrememberable uh, things in order to get those things in there. And it's all too much, right? So I'm I'm excited that this is not only happening, but that this is not one of those cases where the big tech companies are all walking around like, look, we're the coolest. We've got the best idea. They all realize for this to work, they have to work together. And that's why there's this alliance and FIDO and and uh, the W3C is behind this. And they're going to they're going to make this a thing, even if it does take probably, you know, half a decade or a decade for it to be everywhere. At least the end is in sight now for passwords. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And there are still things I, w- I want to like, I would love to know more about like, if it's what happens if you lose a device, how do you get access to your stuff again on a new device? Sure, sure. Uh, and uh, Apple and Google and Microsoft will probably need to be involved in that, right? They're yep. going to probably need to be able to make it. It's a little like, you know, Apple warning you about not having a backup access code for your iCloud or whatever. It's yep. like they're, that's going to need to be part of this. Is how, If I lose my phone, how do I get back in? That's going to have to be part of the deal. Well, like if I switch from iOS to Android, right? Like that that should yeah. be a seamless process, which is why these companies, one of the reasons I'm sure these companies work together is to make that happen. Because sure. if, if they all believe that this should be the case, they have to work together as the three dominant companies right. in this space, right? Um, and then stuff like enforcing security. Like if, if I only have a four-digit code on my iPhone and that's how I use for this, like that's not enough, right? Right. So. Yeah, you, you would need to do your face ID or something else like mm-hmm. that. They're going to have to be authentication standards for this stuff. I think it's much more likely going to be um, stuff like that than mm-hmm. it is uh, one, one, two, three, four, <laughs> your, which we as we know is your password. Uh, everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four. 
um, well, I have other passwords and they're stored in one password. And one password eight just got released. You had an article that you wrote uh, on Six Colors about it. I kind of just wanted to get your opinion on on this, like thinking about, uh, you know, we're talking about passwords today. This is what we are both currently using for our password management. Um, obviously, one password eight was controversial when it was first unveiled. Um, right, last to- late last summer. It's yeah. been in beta a very long time. Um, controversial primarily because um, it of what it represented. Okay, there's two things. And you and I, you were a guest on the Six Colors podcast last Friday for Six Colors subscribers. We talked about this. That's one of the things you get by being a Six Colors subscriber is a podcast. It's usually me and Dan, but it was it was Mike this time. Um, and and like part of one password is what it represents. Uh, on one level, it it um, one password eight doesn't use the traditional method of Mac app development. They basically threw away their Mac app and they're using a cross-platform um, based on web standards, Electron um, interface on top of a cross-platform binary that they wrote using the Rust programming language, which again, you shouldn't ever need to know what programming language your program was written in, but just they, they, they have a new approach and this is what powers their Linux version and it powers their Windows version and now their Mac version as well. And so people who are concerned about the health of the Mac and the future of apps on the Mac were concerned about that. And I was concerned about that, right? It's like, it's not a good sign. I understand why they did it, but it's not a great sign. I will say 10 months later, the app is good. The app is good. I think the the interface is good. Uh, maybe it's the Apple Silicon talking because <laughs> I, I upgraded to this when I went to the Mac Studio. But like, I think it's fast. I think it's responsive. I think it looks good. They got rid of a lot of kind of Chrome around the UI that they didn't need. They did make some changes to try to make it feel more Mac-like and less like a fake app. Like the preferences window when I tested the first beta in, in August last year was a fake window, kind of like you see in Catalyst where they put up a window, but it's inside the other window suspiciously. And if you try to drag yep. that window somewhere else, it doesn't go anywhere because it's not really a window. It's a fake window inside the other window. Well, their preferences window is a real window now, right? Like they, they, there are a lot of interface niceties that they have added. They put a lot it of effort into this. Look anything like a Mac preferences window. However, you know, I would say I'm one of the first people to say I don't think that any developer should be forced to design anything any specific way. I think they should be able to choose their own. Uh, I think, and know? I think its preferences window is kind of modern Mac-like in the sense that it's got the little sidebar with the little colored icons, and I, I think that that's a direction sure. that Apple's been going to. It doesn't, but it doesn't look like it. Like, you know, if I go to quote unquote a good Mac app, it doesn't look like that. But I'm I'm just saying, right? Like, they've made it better. It's got its own look, but I think 1Password is a big enough company that they can dictate the way they want their apps to be designed. Yeah, it feels modern to me. It doesn't, it doesn't, what, what it doesn't do is make me feel like I'm, I'm looking at a Windows app that's been brought to the Mac. So whatever they did, it doesn't it doesn't feel to me like an intruder mm-hmm. on the platform which mm-hmm. is the big for me that's the big concern is there's variation on your platform but there there are also the things that are using the metaphors wrong yeah. and those feel like alien intrusions on your platform and when i use um streamlabs or something <laughs> I, i'm like oh this is a cross-platform application that is not really made for the Mac, even though it works on the Mac yep. and it doesn't work like it. One password doesn't feel like that. Anyway, the other thing one password represents is a lot of people who don't like uh, changes in how software business models work. And I get it, right? This is the this is a version of the 
Uh, Marco Arment is sad because the HomePods are dying and there's no new HomePod and there's no other product in the market that really fits what a HomePod is. And so even though not a lot of people bought HomePods, the people who bought them liked them and there is no replacement and that sucks. And that's totally true. Well, with 1Password, it's they went to a subscription model and they put everything in the cloud. And so if you're somebody who doesn't want a subscription or you don't want your stuff synced into their cloud you can't use one password aid. And I would say it, yes, that is, I'm not one of those people. I don't mind the subscription and I don't mind the cloud syncing. It's very convenient. But if you're somebody who has been left behind by changes in one password's business model, also plenty of reason to be angry. I get Mm -hmm. it. Perfectly natural. That all said, if you take those things out of the equation and you know, you don't have to, but I'm going to right now, the app is actually pretty good. It's got some really nice features. It's got this new like quick, access bar that's kind of like a launch bar or spotlight bar that lets you very quickly look up any password and copy it to your clipboard. It's got an autofill feature that uses the accessibility settings in Mac OS so that if you're in an app that's asking for a password, you can very quickly autofill that app's pa- with a password out of one password, mm-hmm. which you couldn't do before, which is really nice. So there's a lot of good new features in it. And, um, and it works really well for me. And I've got, I've got this touch ID on this keyboard that's Velcroed under the bottom of my desk. You maybe, maybe you've heard of that, Mike, Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't yet taken it apart and reduced it to just a button. Uh, and that, so I authenticating with touch ID is super easy. I know that's not a new feature, but like, it's new to me to be able to do that. And, uh, yeah, so I'm pretty happy with it. I think it's actually a pretty good update. Um, that adds some very useful Mac features and uh, like the the autofill that they have to use Apple's you know frameworks in order to do that and they did that so it doesn't feel like a a, a tossed off cross platform product from a company that doesn't care about the Mac and so uh, we have the background of what they did but if you look at what the product is I don't think it fits the narrative. Do you think this passkey future would be a concern for One Password? Yeah, I mean, there's this question of, okay, if we're in the passwordless future, what do password managers represent? And I think think what you're seeing is, well, one, they are positioning themselves for more kind of like group and corporate use where you've got shared identities and shared information across, which makes sense. Um, And I think if you are a smart product manager, you are looking at the development of the passwordless future and saying to yourself, where does this fall down? Where are the edge cases here? And it's just like when Apple Sherlock's something, right? It's like they already know that Apple's doing a password manager. So like it's it. The, so who do we serve? We serve people for whom the built-in system stuff is not enough. So my guess is that there's absolutely still going to be a business here because of the limitations of the new passwordless sort of system. The, the All the edge cases, all the, yeah, but what if you're in an organization that needs this or or you have to share your identity here or... Uh, you need to share this identity automatically, and this this is a way to do that. I'm sure they will find ways, but I don't know the details enough of the new stuff to know what those are, but mm-hmm. I'm sure they exist, and I'm sure that it's on their roadmap to uh, make sure that um, they are that, that there is an audience uh, that will pay them for whatever they offer. That all said, it may be that the percentage, it's already the case that the percentage of people who are on the Mac or iOS who need one password is less than it was before because of Apple. 
because Apple has built a password manager in and it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And assuming Apple keeps doing working on that and improving that, it's going to make the percentage of people who need to buy a password manager on macOS and iOS smaller and smaller. And this passwordless thing will make it smaller and smaller. Uh, doesn't mean there isn't a good business there. Um, it, But I think one of the reasons that they're focused on growing their uh, small business and, and enterprise part of 1Password is because those are places with more stringent security requirements and comple complex situations that will probably be more likely to need something like 1Password than a random person who just needs to save their passwords. They know that those people are going to increasingly just use what's built in and they're and so you need to find the the edge cases. I'm sure they will. This episode is brought to you by Fitbod. Between balancing your work, family and everything else that you have going on, it can be really difficult to make fitness a priority. What you need is a program that works with you, not against you, and that's why you need Fitbod. Fitbod has an amazing algorithm. This algorithm will learn about you and your goals, and also your ability, like what you're able to do when it comes to training. It then takes all this information and crafts a personalized exercise plan that is unique to you, and their app makes it incredibly easy to learn a bunch of new exercises and exactly how to perform them. Personal fitness shouldn't always be about competing with others. I know this is definitely the case for me. Uh, if I try and compete, compare myself to others, I'm kind of always starting off at a, a bad spot, especially when I was looking to try and change the level of fitness I was, uh, go was going on in my life. What you need and what I needed was something that would work directly with me and for me because that's when it sticks. It's when you'll see results that you're looking for. It's when you'll see progress. And Fitbod will make this dynamic fitness plan for you with data and will adjust it to make sure it works perfectly. That is where that real difference come in. That's where that difference came in for me. You'll have instant access to your own personalized routine in Fitbod's awesome app so you can make progress on your goals from anywhere. Everybody's fitness path is different. That's why Fitbod customizes things exactly to suit you. They learn from your last workout so your next will be even better no matter how much you're working out. Fitbod tracks your muscle recovery as well to make sure that things are balanced so you're not going to be overworking or underworking anything. Their app is really great. It has beautiful HD video tutorials shot from multiple angles, so it's easy to learn every exercise. It integrates with your wearable devices, Apple Watch, Wear OS, apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health as well, so you can make sure you've got all that data everywhere you need it. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but Fitbod is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year, but you can get a fantastic 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbod.me slash upgrade. Go right now and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me slash upgrade and you'll get that 25% off your membership. That's fitbod.me slash upgrade for 25% off. Our thanks to Fitbod for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's finish up today's episode, as we always do, with some hashtag ask upgrade questions. Dotisopropyl, which sounds like a, I don't know what that is, but it sounds like some kind of chemical. I think it's dot isopropyl, like rubbing alcohol, but dot. No, I'm know. going with dotisopropyl. I don't Asks, think that's it, but okay. Have you, Jason, looked into any news reading service for your e-reader? Do you send longer articles to it via email or file transfer? Basically, do you ever read stuff that's not books, right, on your e-readers? And if you do, how do you send stuff there? I do. Um, and since I'm using a Kobo, Kobo has 
um, pocket built in. Mm. So I just use pocket. I have a, I have the pocket extension on my um, on my devices and Safari. Uh, on the Mac, there's a pocket button in the toolbar, and on iOS, you just do share to pocket, and it shares it, and then those sync with the Kobo in the little pocket app, basically that's, cool. that's on the Kobo. And it's it's Kobo doesn't have an app store of any kind, but it has pocket integration, so it's like a little weird app inside of Kobo. But that's what I do. If there's a really long article, and I'm like, oh man, I'm not going to read this now. Uh, and it's and it's a long article that it's probably evergreen. I send that to Pocket, and it shows up in the Kobo, and I can read it there. Is that all you use Pocket for? Yeah, yeah. So you you don't use like a read later service for stuff anymore. I haven't used a read later service for stuff like that in a long time. I used to use Instapaper and send it to the Kindle when I had the Kindle. Um, but otherwise, I, I'll just you know I'll just leave a tab open and, and read it if I'm going to read it sometime soon. It's really for longer stuff where I'm just not going to get to it. And I'm like, wow, this is a really long article, and I'd like to read it, but I don't know when that's going to happen. And then that's when I'll I'll send it off. I do a lot of reading in Net Newswire now. I know I wrote about this, but like I, I like newsletters and stuff get collected in there. And mm. if it's a Substack, it's also in the Substack app. So I've got a bunch of other places where I do reading. That the the Kobo is really only for books and the occasional um pocket saved long article and honestly i've thought about making it be that uh instead of using pocket i just use some method of emailing that article to my uh net newswire instead but that so brings remind me does net newswire have an email address that you set in say substack or are you doing it some no you way? have to, it's your rss service so i'm using feedbin so feedbin so has a, feedbin. A, That's a, an email address that i can send anything to the problem is with an article you've got to grab the text out of the article and email it and that can be difficult because the websites will fight you and pockets already taken care of it so i just sort of embrace that and send it to the kobo i just but wish for the most part I everybody would do what you and Max Barkey and Max Stories do, where you just create an RSS feed for members. Like, yeah, that's what I wished everybody yep. would do that. Like, that's what I want. I, I have I use Feedbin, but I don't want to do all of that. I just want an RSS feed instead yeah. of the email. If you there's know? anybody out there from Substack, um, do an RSS feed, please. Like just, you can authenticate it. it, you can tie it to you can tie it to the membership. Well, they but, don't want to because they want you to use their app now, right? But they I don't want to. Become, want to use I know, their I, app. I neither do I. But that's what they want. They want. Yeah, you I'm to sure. Use their I'm app. sure they do. So instead, I'm forwarding all of their mail to to uh, Feedbin and, mm. and doing that instead, and that's fine. That works fine. I do, you know, my morning session, my morning reading when I'm drinking my tea and eating my breakfast, I am looking at newsletters and RSS feeds in that newswire on my iPad. So so basically that's the answer is most of my reading happens on my iPad, but there are longer articles that I will send to uh, Pocket and read on the Kobo. Rick writes in and says, have either of you tried the Keychron Q3 keyboard? It looks like a solid upgrade for my current K2 model. Neither of us have tried it. I can speak for both of us on that mm-hmm. one. You were my keyboard representative here. Yes, Thank you. no problem. But what I will say is, the answer is yes, it will be an upgrade. The Q models of Keychron keyboards are the custom, quote-unquote, yeah. like, versions of these. They are made of better materials, 
they are made in such a way that you can customize them in ways that you would want to with different switch switches, different keycaps, that kind of stuff. It is their premium offering. I have used the Q1. Jason has that Q1 and has used it way more than me. Um, they learned a lot from that initial Q1. The the new Keychron Q1 is uh, updated. And then the Q2 and Q3 were both made with those learnings. Just about some tolerances, some sound stuff. They've made some great improvements. So if you are using any of Keychron's K series of boards and enjoy it but would want something more, move to their Q series of boards. They are great. They're like legitimately great, available constantly at for what you get incredible prices like like for what it takes to get something outside of what keychron's making you can go into many different areas as i do and get way more particular with it but if you're just going to get started they have a bunch of colors they're really good and so you can check them out um as I, there are companies that do things that i much prefer but if you're getting started or you're looking for some kind of in stock thing keychron do a great job uh, Morky asks, aside from the Apple Watch, do either of you use smart health monitoring devices like scales or sleep trackers or blood pressure monitors or anything like that? Do you use any of this kind of stuff? I have, I think I mentioned it here before. I have a blood pressure monitor that is smart in the sense that it's got Bluetooth and it will sync with an app that puts it in Apple Health. Mm -hmm. Although the real point to it is that I put it on my arm and I press the button and I can get a blood pressure reading which is mm -hmm. nice do you know the name of the company that makes that oh no oh can do you think you could find it so i could put it in the show notes at least I, yeah i can i can put it in the show notes cool that is probably the only other than the apple watch right is mm -hmm. the only thing that i'm using for that i had the wything scales mm -hmm. you know like the 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 old school bluetooth scales that everybody has i guess if you have these kinds of things uh, mine are Wything scales. Then got rebranded. The app got rebranded to Nokia, and now it's back to Wything's again, <laughs> which is hilarious. The guy, in case you're not familiar, the guy who made that company bought was bought by the company was bought by Nokia. That guy then bought it back from Nokia for less than he sold it to them for, and it's back to being Wything's again. And so I've kind of gone a complete 360 with mine. Uh, but yeah, I like them. They're just, it's just like a good scales. Uh, and I just like that. I don't need to do anything and it automatically updates my uh, stuff in um, Apple Health if I want to do my weight and all that kind of stuff on it. So it's great. And the and now we have the answer. My, uh, my blood pressure monitor that I bought is the Omron Evolve. Ooh. Uh, yes. Well, you know, what what you're going to do? You got to you got to evolve. Uh, and it's a, yeah, it's a Bluetooth syncing fancy thing. Omron Evolve. Look at that. Oh, it looks yeah. scary to me. Oh, it's like, uh, yeah, you better put it on your wrist or it'll mm -hmm. uh, zap you with a laser or something. Evolve without an E. Without an E, no. They've evolved past the need for an E. Yeah, who needs it? <laughs> at, the right? at the end. The beginning still has one, but the, it's not the, the, evolve. The, the redundant E has been dropped. And Shijara asks... Mac Pro, do you have some price bets? And are you going to apply the Snell algorithm <laughs> for pricing? What is the Snell algorithm? Is it double it and add 50 or something? What is it? it it's, it, it's, no, it's, it's, uh, consider the price you want, raise the price by a, a, 
I mean, it should probably be a percentage, but raise the price by $50 or $100 or $200. For a Mac Pro, I'd say raise the price by $200 from that, mm-hmm. at maybe $500 from that, and then round up. Um, basically, uh, the Snell algorithm is is more of an art form, and it's find the the price you want, increase it to a painful price that you don't want, but you might pay for, and then raise it a second time, and that will be the price. Okay, it's not always so, the case. Uh, my, I did I applied this algorithm to the studio display, and it was two, and I came up with something like two thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and it was less than that, sixteen hundred. So that you know, sometimes Apple surprises you. Mac Pro, you know, Mac Studio. To start with a Mac Studio, what you've got to start at five thousand with Wait. a with the high end model, right? Four. Is it four thousand for the yeah. for the base? The ultra. Ultra, yeah. Because I think that I think to figure out what the Mac Pro price is, you have to start with the Mac Studio mm-hmm. Ultra. That's a good point. I wasn't thinking about that, but yes, of course, you have to start with that, right? And that's twenty core CPU, forty eight core GPU. That's yeah. So well, let's, let's we're gonna add it. We're gonna add a thousand. We're right. gonna add a thousand to it. Okay. Um, because we're gonna go, we're gonna go to the sixty-four core GPU, thirty-two core neural engine. Okay. And I'm gonna say that's five thousand dollars. So I think I think the Mac Pro could not start for less than five thousand dollars. It currently and starts it, at five nine nine nine. So the the Intel model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna say six thousand is the the least it will cost. And that will be for a disappointing version that's got mm-hmm. fewer cores than you'd like for your $6,000 Mac Pro. And like 64 gigabytes of RAM, right? Yeah. Like it's not so, going to be pretty sad. Yeah, and they might, start it, they might start it at 128 or something like that. Oh my God, Jason, it currently start The six grand one, I forgot about this, currently starts at 32. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll say they start at 64. So it, what we're saying is, it might be six thousand to start gigabytes of SSD storage. Yeah, that's what it starts right? at now. Yeah, that's not even going to oh. be. Yeah, so so actually, I think that shows you something, right? Whereas the level of the content in the base model Mac Pro is actually not great, which is why nobody. I mean, people buy it, but but they don't expect you to buy it at that level. They it is absurd it. right now how much of a better deal the Mac Studio is. The Mac Studio. Yeah. When it's like if we bump it up to the 20 core one, which we think would be the starting, you get 64 gigabytes of memory and one terabyte, terabyte of storage for five grand. For five grand, yeah, yeah. So, so more storage, more memory, it's fast, it's faster, <laughs> and yeah. it's five grand. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna say to answer the question. I think maybe it will be six thousand. I think I think six too. I I think that the they would price. just say like it's the same price. I, I don't think they're gonna bring it any closer to the Mac no. Studio. That doesn't make any sense because otherwise, why put the Mac Studio in there? But it's gonna be for a base model that's gonna have disappointing base specs, and so yes. you're gonna say, oh, but just for a thousand more. But then you're gonna look at the Mac Studio and you're gonna look at the Mac Pro and you're like, oh. But it's it. I could actually get more computer for less because I do think that that the argument is going to be the Mac Pro is really for people who need the Mac Pro, and you that the Mac what? Studio is is going to steal. You know from what? It. What maybe the creation of the Mac Studio means it is absolutely pointless to even bother with that starting configuration of the Mac Pro anymore. I mean, for people who need whatever the Mac Pro is going to deliver in terms of expandability. Um, but I, I, I you, could imagine them maybe even starting it at seven or eight. 
Could be. Well, you're doing the Snell algorithm now, right? So yeah. th- what I'm saying is I think that 6000 is your, uh, that's what the Mac Pro costs now price. And the question is, are they going to try to hold that, but it'll be disappointing? Or are they not going to make a disappointing base config and instead they're going to kick it up to, to 7000 which means that it's 8000 or 10000 <laughs> depending on how you want to handle it. But I, if I had to put a bet down in one price, um, I would be I would say six thousand or fifty nine ninety nine because that's the the existing price. If I were to set an over under though, I would put it higher, right? If I were setting an over under, I would put it at um at uh sixty nine ninety nine maybe. Mm. I think I'm gonna say my 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 number would be starting at sixty nine ninety nine. Like that's yeah, what I think it would be. Yeah. And I'll go fifty nine ninety nine, but um but it'll be expensive. And and like I said, I I also want to reinforce it'll be expensive and it'll be for a config that you'll look at and go, oh well, I don't want that. <laughs> so yeah, I wonder if the ultra has some kind of minimum amounts of RAM and storage that it needs. I wonder. I don't know. Well, it it will because it's two m1s right so it has to have the memory minimum memory of each of those so times two Mm. but you know having it have fewer gpus or fewer cores all of that is is possible i also anticipate that it will be you know ultra only the mac pro so ultra or ultra times two whatever that is ultra max yeah Mega Ultra. Do you think? Do you think if they do that, they will give it a different name? Like it will, there will be another name, or do you think they will just give be like it's? I mean, the they're maniacs in terms specs. of naming. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's I, a Mac Pro maniac. You know, I would, I would, in, I would recommend that they just call it two m1 ultras but i guess it really depends on how it's built if it really is the four interconnected thing that um was rumored but seems to not be happening for the m1 then they could call that something else if they want a a a step above ultra just to be monsters like i I just wonder if it's like if it's even necessary like it's just the ultra but here are the specs like at a certain point do you need to brand everything Right. Well, I mean, and even even if you did, you wouldn't need to brand it to say it's two M1 Ultras or yeah. M2 Ultras or whatever it is. You wouldn't need to necessarily say it's uh, it's the new M1 Ultra Max, especially because you're marketing to people buying a very, very expensive computer. Do you need marketing of that kind at that price point? I don't, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, considering it is likely that that chip will probably only ever be in that computer. I would expect. I don't think it needs its own name. Where the Ultra right. is going to find its way into other stuff, I feel like. It's not just going to be in the Mac Studio. It will be in the Mac Pro. It will be in an iMac one day. Could be in a MacBook Pro one day. I, I can't imagine whatever that top-of-the-line chip is really finding its way into other stuff. Maybe the iMac Pro, but I doubt it. I don't think it's going to be necessary. So, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see maybe uh, in four weeks, not in a month. Four weeks. Maybe we'll find out in four weeks. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord that you get access to. If you sign up for Upgrade Plus, go to getupgradeplus.com and you will get longer ad-free 
versions of every single episode of Upgrade, which, you know, could be great. We're moving into peak season, then summer of fun, then peak season two, you know, like there's a lot of great content. You can get even more of it with no ads at getupgradeplus.com. But thank you to our sponsors for this week's episode, Fitbod, Capital One, and Bombas. And of course, thank you for listening. If you want to keep up with us in the meantime, you can find us online. You can find Jason at sixcolors.com and he is at Jason L, J-S-N-E-L-L. Jason hosts many shows here on Relay FM and on The Incomparable. You can find me, uh, I'm at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and I also host many shows here at Relay FM. You can go check one out uh, and maybe add something new to your podcast subscription list. Uh, we'll be back next week. Till then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. 